If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, the beauty of the gospel is that God has saved us. He's freed us from the power and the penalty of sin. He's put us in Christ, who's now our life. So we've gathered together to surrender our lives. To say, our lives are yours, and we're your servants. It's not radical version of Christianity. This is biblical Christianity. It's what it means to be a follower of Christ. We don't call the shots. He calls the shots. The Radical Together Podcast, with teaching from David Platt. Welcome back to a new episode of the Radical Together Podcast. And if you're new to the podcast, you can listen to all the previous episodes at Radical.net or by subscribing on iTunes. Now today we continue with the fourth and final part of David's series from Philippians chapter 3 entitled, Don't Waste Your Life. The treasure Christ and the trust Christ. Third characteristic of men and women whose lives count for the glory of Christ in the landscape of human history. They pursue Christ with obsessive passion. Now here's where it gets really good. In verse 12, he says that I haven't already obtained this. I haven't been made perfect. We'll get to that in a second. But he said, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. That word press on, interestingly, is the same word that's used up in verse 6 when it says, as for zeal, persecuting the church. That word persecuting literally is the same word that we see later is translated press on. It literally means running after, following after. I was following after the church, persecuting them with great zeal. Isn't it great how Christ just does a 180 in our lives? This guy who was zealously persecuting the church is now, same word, zealously pursuing Christ with obsessive passion. The word literally means to run, follow after. Now the picture we've got here is an athletic picture. And I'm convinced Paul was a a sports fan. Guys, we can associate with Paul here. He, He loved athletics. We see this kind of imagery all throughout. I'm even convinced that Paul was a Georgia fan. I'll show you why. (laughs) Philippians chapter three, verse two. Did you see this? Look at it with me. You might underline it in your Bible. Watch out for those dogs. (laughs) Horrible misinterpretation of scripture. But I couldn't resist. So Paul's using this. It's athletic imagery. He uses it numerous times, and this idea of a race, he definitely emphasizes. Acts 20, 24, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race, complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. He comes to the end of his ministry, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, I have finished the course, kept the faith. This is the picture he uses, running after Christ. Now, the question we have a tendency to ask, a question that I'm convinced pervades contemporary Christianity and plagues us, the question we have a tendency to ask is, why follow hard after Christ? Why follow hard after Christ? We may not ask it, but the way we live at least shows that it's a question in our minds and our lives. If Dave, if I'm found in Christ and I have the righteousness of Christ, if I'm guaranteed the resurrection of Christ, if I'm already found in him, then why do I need to seek after him? Why do I need to pursue him if I've already got him? And the reason we ask this question is because we grossly misunderstand what it means to be found in Christ. A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite writers, don't agree with everything he said, but I want you to hear his words on this 
issue in the church. He said, everything today is made to center upon the initial act of accepting Christ, a term incidentally, which is not found in the Bible. And we are not expected thereafter to crave any further revelation of God to our souls. Christ may be received without creating any special love for him in the soul of the receiver. The man is saved, but he is not hungry nor thirsty after God. In fact, he is specifically taught to be satisfied and encouraged to be content with little. We have been snared in the coils of a spurious logic, which insists that if we have found him, we need no more seek him. But come near to the holy men and women of the past and you will soon feel the heat of their desire after God. They mourned for him. They prayed and wrestled and sought for him day and night, in season and out. And when they found him, the finding was all the sweeter for the long seeking. It is possible for us to accept Christ even to truly trust in Christ for our salvation and then live coasting out our Christianity until we get to heaven with absolutely no seeking after Christ. That's dangerous. Instead of asking that question, I want to challenge us to cultivate some of these qualities that we see here in Philippians 3. First one is this, a holy dissatisfaction with casual or comfortable Christianity. A holy dissatisfaction with casual or comfortable Christianity. I want to ask any and every Christ follower across this room, is your life being spent in passionate pursuit of Christ? Or has it been a long time since you personally sought after him? God help us not to coast in this comfort of Christianity, waiting for heaven. Do you realize heaven? 1 John 3, 2 is the place, dear children, it says, when we will be like him and we will see him as he is. Anybody looking forward to that day? When we will see Christ as he is, if we are at all looking forward to that day, then let us live from this day until that day in passionate pursuit of Christ, running after him, dissatisfied with where we are. Paul says, I'm not there. I haven't obtained it. I've not achieved the place where I want to be. Now, later on in Philippians 4, he says, I'm, I'm content in every, every, in and every situation. And that's talking about content to know that God's going to provide. But here is the author of much of the New Testament, the planter of most of the early churches in the New Testament, saying, I've got so far to go in my knowledge of Christ, in my experience of Christ, and I want more, and I want more, and I'm dissatisfied with where I am. Not that I've found Christ lacking. I've found Christ so fulfilling that I want more and more and more of him. I am pursuing him with passion. Is that where your Christianity stands today? God, help us not to sit back in a monotonous, mundane, perfunctory motion of religious activity that lacks obsessive passion for Jesus Christ. Second, a fresh understanding. We need a fresh understanding of the degree to which Christ has followed hard after us. Did you catch that phrase? 
I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus, what? Took hold of me. The word literally means seized me or caught me. Some translations even say arrested me. You look at Acts chapter 9. Christ seized Paul. He turned this guy's life upside down. He caught a hold of him in an incredible, life-transforming way. And Paul turned and went complete other direction. He had been seized by Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, the most fundamental reason why we must follow hard after Christ is because Christ has followed hard after you. God help us never to get over the fact that he has called our name. God help us to never get over the height depth and the width of the walls that he has crossed and the barriers he has overcome to get to you. Yes, we gain Christ. Why? Because he gained us with his blood. He has pursued us. He allures us with his grace. If we don't follow hard after Christ, then we say that he is not worth it, that he is not valuable enough to follow after. We are content with our Christianity back here. God, may it not be said of our lives. May it not be said of our generation, of our church, that we were content back here. May it said that we had, may it may be said we had a holy dissatisfaction to pursue him because he was pursuing us with such passion. And number three, a single-minded discipline that governs our lives. Paul comes to middle of verse 13. He says, but one thing I do, and we kind of get, get it missed here in the translation because those words I do are actually not in the original language of the New Testament. They're implied, but in the original language of the New Testament, Paul literally just says, but one thing, and it kind of stops it, abrupt, poignant, one thing. We live in a world of many things. And our plates are full with many things. And our lives are consumed with many things and many pursuits. And we are a busy people. And I want to remind us that we can live our lives in pursuit of countless things and countless endeavors and we can gain them all and in the end have accomplished absolutely nothing of eternal value. But there is one thing that counts. He is Christ. One thing I do, I'm disciplined. Forget what is behind strain towards what is ahead. He disciplined his life to say, I want to guard my, my personal worship with Christ. I want to guard my study. I want to guard my, my prayer. I want to guard my family. I want to guard my life. This is so huge in light of the last two weeks. Don't forget that the seeds of sin are born in spiritual stagnation. Don't forget that. That as soon as we come to that lull in our faith, that we begin to slip backwards into sin that we couldn't have imagined before. Stay pursuing Christ. Discipline your mind and your heart and your life to pursue after him. You look at men and women throughout scripture, church history, whose lives have counted for God's glory. There is an extreme discipline to say, I will pursue Christ and guard my relationship with Christ more than anything else in this world. 
I will pursue him. With Caleb, he has started, he's been crawling a lot, and he has, the last few days, started climbing the stairs some. It's kind of, it's kind of nerve-wracking to see your kid trying to climb the stairs, and we would, would put a little basketball that he likes a few steps up, and he'd start to crawl up, and then, I guess it's kind of a cruel thing, but we'd move it up a couple more stairs. <laughs> So he'd go up a couple more, and then 20 stairs later, 20 stairs later, he finally gets the basketball that he's been working so hard for. But he keeps climbing because his eyes are set. He keeps climbing. At the foot of the Swiss Alps, there is a sign to commemorate a climber who died there. And the words on the sign say, He died climbing. I want to die climbing the infinite mountain of the majesty of God. That's the life that counts. Are you climbing? They pursue Christ with obsessive passion. Last characteristic. They look forward to the prize of his praise. Now here's where it gets really, really good. Paul says, straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal. What's the goal? Well, the goal is to win the prize. Well, what's the prize? Here's where it gets really good. The prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now put these two together. God called me with a purpose. That's the prize I'm running for. So the prize of our salvation is the same as the purpose of our salvation. You see the connection there? We're running after the reason, the entire reason why God has called us. That's our prize. So what is the prize? And it's at this point in my my month in Kazakhstan, studying this text, that things just came alive in a way that they had never had. I'd read this text numerous times before. Never preached on it, but I read it a ton. And I began to look at this prize, and I'm convinced, based on Scripture, that this prize is twofold. Twofold. Two pro, twofold prize of the life that counts. Number one, it's the completion of our salvation. That's what Paul's running after. Ultimately, Undoubtedly, this is what is crystal clear in this passage. He wants to be united completely with Christ. He wants to be with Christ. He wants to experience the fullness of Christ in his salvation. And this is good news. We all are running toward the day when we will have no more sin, no more temptation. We will be complete in Christ. And it's on that day when his glory will be most clearly reflected in us. Because we will be like him, 1 John 3, 2 says. So what that means is the completion of our salvation is part of the prize. So that means we live to manifest his glory. From this day until then, I want to manifest his glory. I want to be like him more and more every day. And that's exactly why God called him. Look at Romans 8, 28. Those God predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. Those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Our calling to salvation, the end result is that we would be glorified with Christ. This is, this is much greater than just, not to minimize this, but than, to, than just being delivered from hell. We will not only be delivered from hell, we will be glorified with Jesus Christ himself. What a picture. And so we live to manifest his glory. But if we stop there, close the Bible, and go home today, we'll miss part of the prize that we live for. David will be back in just a moment, but first I want to tell you about a new resource called Radical Soundbites. These brief audio clips are helpful, concise soundbites in which David addresses a specific topic through the lens of Scripture. 
We hope this resource will encourage you and help you thoughtfully and prayerfully engage others with the truth of God's Word. You can find Radical Soundbites via our social media channels at Follow Radical on Twitter and the Radical Facebook page. And if you'd like to explore additional resources from the ministry of David Blatt, visit Radical.net. Here's David with the rest of today's message. Second part of the prize. It's not just the completion of our salvation. It's the crown of their salvation. You say, what do you mean, the crown of their salvation? Well, what's interesting is that when you take this picture of running toward the prize... Paul uses the exact same picture, exact same word, over in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 through 27. And there he says, I'm running in a prize, running in a race, and I want to get to the prize. He says, run in such a way as to get to the prize. And what the prize is in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, you go study that text and you look at verse 19 through 23 before it, and what he's talking about is that... To all men, I become all things in order that I might save some. To the Jew, I become like a Jew. To the Gentile, like a Gentile. I I want to lead people to Christ. I want to win people to Christ. I want people to know the goodness and the glory of Christ. I'm living for the glory of Christ. That is part of my prize, seeing others come to faith in Christ. And it's exactly what Paul says here in Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. What does he say there? My brothers, you whom I love and long for, he's talking to the church, he says, my joy and my crown, my prize. He's saying that not only is he living so that his salvation is completed and he is glorified in Christ, he's saying, I'm living so that others will be completed in Christ too. I'm giving my life to that. That's why I said in verse 17, follow my example. As you watch me, follow my example. He said in chapter 4, verse 9, whatever you have learned, received, heard from me, seen in me, put it into practice. I'm living for your sake. Don't miss this. The life that counts does not take the gospel in for self-consumption so that one day you will be complete in Christ. That is part of the picture, but part of your completion in Christ is giving yourself to making disciples of all nations and laying your life down for the people around you in Birmingham and in all nations so that they would know the salvation of Christ as well. What that means is we not only live to manifest his glory in our lives, we live to multiply his gospel. We want to stand before Christ one day to give an account for our lives and we don't want to just have our lives there. We want to live with a multitude of people Live so that a multitude of people are with us on that day, experiencing and enjoying his glory with us. Do you see that? This is part of the prize, that we would live for each other's sake. And it's that that Paul says, keep your eyes on it. It's that important. When I was in high school, I uh, was on the baseball team, and we were bad. We just weren't very good at all in my senior year especially. And I was starting, and I don't know what that says about my baseball skills, but we were really bad and rarely won at all. In fact, there was one particular game that we were playing another team that was bad. And so we had a hope of at least competing and possibly winning. It was close the whole time, came down to the last inning, and it was all tied up. We held them from scoring in the top of the inning. And so we're running off the field. And our coach meets us out in front of the dugout. Whenever he did that, we knew something really important was going on. He meets us out there and he said, all right, guys, let's gather around. 
he said, guys, we've, we've actually got a chance to win a game here. <laughs> and he said, now we're going into the bottom of the last inning here. And if we don't score here, then we'll go into extra innings. And if we go into extra innings, you know what that means. We are all like, yeah, we'll lose. And he said, yeah, we'll lose. <laughs> so if it's going to happen, it needs to happen right here. So he said, here's the plan. Dave, you're up first this inning. We need you to get on first base. Once you get to first, we're going to steal you over to second. Once you get to second, all we need is one hit. You're around third, come home, we'll win the game. I'm thinking, yeah, right, okay. <laughs> number one, we're going to win the game. That doesn't happen. And number two, it's dependent on me getting to first base. Even less of a chance. So I go and I put my helmet on. All the guys are patting me on the head. Come on, Dave, come on. So I walk out there, nervous as can be, step into the batter's box. And by the grace of almighty God, I draw a walk. (laughs) Apparently it was too much even for the power of God to enable me to get a hit during that time. And so the guy throws me four balls and I go walking down to first base. Once I get there, I look over the third base coach. He's given me the signs, steel sign. So I take my lead off first. Pitcher winds and he throws and I turn and bolt towards second base. I get about five feet away and I go into this beautiful head first Pete Rose slide. What do you think? Safe or out? I was safe. Who said out? (laughs) A little love, you know? The story would be no good if it stopped there at second base. (laughs) So I was safe. Get in the second base. Well, the next guy who was up to bat struck out. Loser, didn't walk like I did. So <laughs> what we've got now is, is a picture of one out. If, you're, if you know much about baseball, if it's going to happen, it really needs to happen right here. Because if they get another out and the outfield can kind of relax and people can get to be a little calmer, but if it's going to happen, it needs to happen right here. So guy up to bat, I take my lead off second base. Pitcher winds and he throws. The guy hits the ball in between the third baseman and the shortstop. Why why are you groaning? Like, you just expect something bad to happen. Well, I I turn and I watch the ball go in front of me into left field. And I start running toward third base. I look up and I see the coach there on the third base line. You'll never guess what he's doing. Oh, he's doing this, like faster than I ever could run. Like, coach, why don't you do this? And so he's giving it to me. So I'm like, touch third base, touch third base. So I touch third base and I look up. And they're about 90 feet in front of me. He's a man who's much bigger than I am. And he's wearing a lot more equipment than I am. And I start running as hard as I can. The guys are out of the dugout, jumping up and down. The fans are going nuts. All 10 of them that were there, they were going crazy. Not even everybody's parents would come to watch us. It's like a movie, oh... I get about 10 feet away, pretty excited, so I decided it's time to start the dive. And so I dive toward home. I remember my hand brushing past the plate as the catcher's mitt came down and thud on my shoulder. We look up in the dust at the umpire. Not going to ask you what you think he said. He looks down and he says, safe, safe. We went nuts. The guys came running out of the dugout. They're piling on top of me. You thought we'd won the World Series. We had won a game. All the fans, a couple of them, they're going nuts. It was the most glorious moment of my sad sports career. 
And let me ask you a question. I want you to imagine with me. When I'm rounding third base, if I hit the base there and I think, you know, I, I could use a hot dog right now. And I decided to take a little detour over to the concession stand. Or maybe, maybe when I'm rounding third base, I look up and Heather, we were dating at that time and happened to come to a game. I think, you know, she looks a lot better than he does. And so I just go running over to her, and, you know, kind of start conversation. How'd you like that walk, babe? You're pretty nice. Or what would you think if when I was rounding third base, I looked up and saw the coach and thought, you know, coach and I haven't spent much time together recently. And so I just went and put my arm around him. Coach, how, how are the wife, kids? How are they doing? Well, Dave, you would have missed the whole point. When the game was dependent on you, when everything was on the line, you got distracted and you missed the whole point of where you're going. I give you a picture of where we are in the church. We are a distracted people. Distracted by our affluence, distracted by our comforts, distracted by the American dream, distracted by a lot of good things. When there is one thing that matters, he is Christ. And we are running to him. We are pursuing him. We're not sitting back waiting for something to happen. We are running after him with obsessive passion and not just us, we are taking as many people as we can from all nations with us. I long for the day. God, may it be so that I stand before you in heaven to hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Why? Because I lived a decent Christian life? No, because I lived a productive Christian life and my life counted for his glory on the landscape of human history and it will not be written across any one of our lives wasted. They missed the whole point. God, help us in this room to fix our eyes on the prize ahead of us. He is Christ and the glory of Christ among all the people around us and let's live for him and let's make our lives count for his glory. That's all for today's episode. Thank you for joining us. For more resources from David Platt, including those in other languages, visit Radical.net. And if you'd like more information on the International Mission Board, visit imb.org. Join us next time for more teaching from David, right here on the Radical Together podcast.